Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of MedTech Money brought to you by Project MedTech. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. You can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com or follow us on LinkedIn. If you are enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview-style podcast on the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations. In this episode, our host, Giovanni Loricella, and our guest, Catella Soma, for TVM Capital Life Sciences discuss what goes on behind the scenes once a startup reaches out to an investor, why they do early-stage biotech but late-stage medtech, slide deck versus executive summary, the importance of a scientific advisory board, what should entrepreneurs be putting in their slide deck, the due diligence process, who do they call on doing during their due diligence process, and so much more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Catella Soma. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Catella, thank you very much for being with us here today. This is the MedTech Money Podcast Series, powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. And we've talked numerous times and shared deal flow and had conversations about the industry. And what I'm excited about is we're gonna rip open this topic of due diligence, at least from a venture capitalist perspective, and we'll dig into that further. And so the reason why we're here is I've talked to MedTech entrepreneurs, investors like yourself around the world. And what I've discovered is that there's no silver bullet or specific formula or even magic about how to raise or invest capital in med tech. So my goal here is I wanted to extract insights to quote unquote, demystify this process and help med tech innovators benefit from this information. And so the audience we have here is a mixture of med tech entrepreneurs and investors. And what I'd like to share is your stories and advice with what I imagine that first time founder or CEO and has no clue of what lies ahead of them on this journey of raising capital. So I thought the best place to start is of course, learning from experienced investors like yourself. And going back to what I wanna talk about today, there's there's this very relevant topic and, and whether it's the introductions that I forwarded over your way or just in general, working with entrepreneurs who are connecting with these investors, once that initial connection's made and there's this due diligence process that takes place to either have a, yes, let's have a conversation or no, I, I want to really rip open that topic today just so we can have all these entrepreneurs listening in today understand from once again, a, an investor or venture capitalist perspective on what really goes on behind the scenes and what aren't they seeing once they actually make this con- contact with an investor. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm very excited about this conversation because it's a it's a mystery box that I'm curious myself. So we, before we go into all of that, and obviously your background, I'm going to kick it off with my questions that I'd like to ask you, starting with the first one. Do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? Would you add anything? Or is that it? Thank you very much, Joe, and uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, it's very exciting because it's a great opportunity first to be part of your great format, which I know uh, is now a great success. And the second is uh, to give um, an opportunity to the medtech entrepreneurs 
also to catch some nuances of, of, of our thought process, right? And um, to I, hopefully to help them then to refine their uh, vision, right? Their business plan and conversely um, to increase the opportunities of success with, with us uh, institutional investors. So back to, to your first question, absolutely, I think so. So um, people and money are the lifeblood of, of the medtech startups. And the reason why is simple, because without people, you don't have uh, an idea, you don't have uh, a vision, but also you will never have traction, right? Because uh, uh, it's a mountain that, that you have to climb, right? Uh, from the inception to the exit. I've been through it uh, my, myself, and uh, I mean, you have to deal with the struggle, right? And uh, the uh, the money, yes, absolutely, but the smart money, right? You you need someone who is really uh, a professional, right? In um, attaching uh, the financing, right, to uh, network, to uh, some uh, well-known uh, techniques uh, and moves in order to... Um, increase the chance to succeed, right? To open a market or to sell a product efficiently, yeah. So with that then, there's a, there's a lot, and I, I'm glad that you brought up the word market. Um, and it plays into my next question because whether it's market timing, whether it's simply hard work and positioning yourself, but I, I have a lot of fun with this question, this notion of luck. And, and do you believe in luck as an investor? And how much does luck play into this success in the med tech industry? Whether it's from an entrepreneur's perspective and positioning, or even from an investor's perspective of, of even being at the right place at the right time to invest in a company. Do, do you believe in luck? That, that's an excellent question because, uh, you know, uh, it looks uh, simple, but in fact, it is not. And uh, I can tell you that the short answer is uh, yes, absolutely. But we call it context, right? Because I mean, uh, if you are developing uh, some uh, tools or um, for uh, to to manage the ICU patients, right? And you have been hit by by COVID, then you know this is the the kind of context that is enabling your success in a way, right? Because the, the pie, right, the, of, of the market is just doubling, tripling, right, in a, in a, in a short time frame, right? So, so absolutely, there are, there are some uh, variables that are outside of our controls. You have to deal with it, right? And if, if you are smart and you adapt and, I mean, you, you can gain traction immediately. So absolutely, yes. And this question is obviously for you, but the answer is certainly for the entrepreneurs listening in right now. As an investor, all of these slide decks and executive summaries that get sent your way and this initial outreach that you have to look at when you assess making an investment, it comes down to the also the entrepreneur too, beyond the technology and also the market timing. What do you look for? What is the most investable skill set or characteristic of a medtech entrepreneur? And, and in other words, when you assess a company, when you assess a team that you're gonna invest in, what's the one thing, if you can even identify just only one, what's the one thing you look for in every entrepreneur that you invest in? They, they have to be very solid in what they are trying to, to achieve and sell. 
Absolutely. Because, I mean, there is no improvisation in, uh, in, in life science. That, that, that's the key, right? You can't come with just a, you know, a, a draft or, or a paint, right, uh, on a piece of paper and you say, okay, I have this idea is a billion dollar opportunity. I mean, it doesn't work in life science. So you have to come prepared. And then go- going into all of the work that you have to put into your job and all the, this assessment that you've learned over the years and the markets that's gone up and down. If you knew what you know now about being a med tech investor, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? Or would you do something differently? I mean, you just mentioned um, you have to be prepared and, and there's no improvisation within life sciences and med tech. So with all this hard work that goes into it, do you love what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, every day, because uh, I mean, if you if you like to embrace challenges, right? You like uh, your days that are different from from what I've been in the past, right? And and you want to to push yourself uh, beyond the boundaries, right, of the routines and so on. I mean, this is something that the, you you should do, right? Because I mean, it's super frustrating. You are a uh, uh, on, um, on the age of, uh, you know, of uh, having uh, a lot of headaches, right, and sleepless nights. But, uh, I mean, given your ambition and um, uh, the goal of uh, giving a, a, a tangible um, contribution to the, to the industry, uh, the ecosystem, I mean, this is something that is worth doing. Another question that I have a lot of fun with, because I've had various answers um, th- this notion of glamour and and being an investor, right? I mean, all these people listening in right now, those who aspire to be a med tech entrepreneur or those who aspire to be a med tech investor, and they, they simply have just never gone through the process before, but it sounds glamorous, right? You, you, as an investor, you hold all this money and you get to invest in cool companies. From your perspective and, and for all the, the hard work that people aren't seeing, is it glamorous being a med tech investor? <laughs> yeah, I would say this is exciting. Yes, for the reason that I described, right? Because you are uh, on the move, right? But uh, I mean, glamorous, well, I mean, uh, I, we are not popping champagne every day, right? <laughs> or we are sailing on the boat. So, right, no, no, this is hard working and, right, we had to deal with hundreds of emails per day, right, and uh, more than 1,000 of uh, opportunities per year. <laughs> so, I mean, this is something that has uh, a certain mechanics, some uh, due dates, right, some pressure. So, I mean, uh, this, no, this is uh, nothing uh, glamorous, right? And at the end of the day, I think even if there is time to celebrate and pop open a bottle of champagne, oftentimes, whether it's the entrepreneurs working really hard or the investors assessing and working very hard, there's, you're exhausted even drinking the champagne. So it's, sometimes it's not even worth it. You'd rather just take a nap. But, <laughs> That's cool. But uh, I mean, I encourage people to celebrate always, right? Because uh, I think for, uh, for what you said, right, hardworking, you had to celebrate because uh, Otherwise, it looks like that, the, you know, you're a machine, right? But it, it's not like that uh, you go relaxed, uh, right, uh, uh, jumping from one bar to another. That's different kind of uh, lifestyle, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so today you're here representing the venture capital firm, and we'll get into everything that you guys do. But the name TVM 
life sciences. What's in the name? What does TVM mean? What's the name of your company represent? That's a that, that's an interesting question because people are not asking. You know, they are afraid to ask because uh, they suspect if they ask, it means that they don't know the firm. So, and, and hence, you can infer as investor that uh, they don't know your investment thesis. So it's better don't ask, right? So this is a good a, a good uh, clarification, right? That I can provide and give to you because there is also a legacy attached to to, to the acronym to these three letters. So in fact, the TVM stands for Techno ventures management, right? Because in fact, uh, uh, this is how the fund one was called, I don't know, uh, more than uh, 30 years uh, ago, right? And uh, because the fund was uh, split between uh, uh, technology, pure technology, and life science at that time, right? Then uh, going through the 2000s and so on, right? And uh, uh, some um, uh, found cycles, right? Uh, we decided uh, to stick with the life science, right? And uh, hence, now we kept the acronym for the sake of the legacy, but I mean, is, uh, the fund is running on a completely different uh, thesis. So now it's TBM life science, right? Very good. And lo and behold, the man behind the voice, all of us listening in right now, Catella Soma, Tell us who you are, the man, the person, the individual, the professional. Where are you from? And then how did you build this life and career through your academic background, through your professional background, ultimately allowing you to become the associate over at TVM Life Science? And then once we get there, we'll just rip open everything that TVM Life Science does. Who are you? Happy to answer. So actually, uh, also because uh, this is a pretty an anomaly within the the, the venture capital uh, uh, kind of CV, right? And uh, you will see why. So in fact, uh, um, I'm molecular biologist by training uh, with an MBA in finance. And I started my career in academia, of course, right? And then uh, I also started a, a PhD in advanced uh, biology, which, which I dropped because uh, I realized that this was not something I wanted to, to jump on for uh, four years, right? Uh, I was uh, more interested uh, indeed in the, in the application of the innovation, right? So, and uh, after this MBA, uh, I have been head of strategy and processes for um, uh, a small conglomerate that was doing uh, some peptide discovery, repackaging, uh, and, um, and other uh, uh, businesses. And uh, after the restructure or restructuring of this company, then I moved uh, to Switzerland, right, to work for uh, for a biotech, and um, and then uh, uh, there I realized that um, VC would have been uh, my ideal place to be, right, and um, so I started to interact with. Uh, um, startups to and support them with the fundraising activities, right, uh, and some finance. And then also uh, I was mentoring a lot through some uh, accelerators and uh, uh, incubators. I've been linked also to um, local uh, business angels groups. Uh, I did a couple of investments myself also to familiarize with uh, both the entrepreneurs and uh, uh, the terms, in fact, uh, all these convertible notes, notes and, uh, and so on. And then after that, I, uh, after a while, I moved to Munich, 
from uh, from Geneva to to start with uh, with TVM. So very nice. And and now here you are with TVM Life Science, and we now know what the name means. But tell us what the firm does. Yeah. What what st- stage of companies do you invest in? The size of fund that you're working out of, the history of the funds, um, the the style of companies that you invest in. Obviously, this is a med tech focused podcast, but I know you guys do more than simply med tech. So, what do you want the world to know about TVM Life Science? What do you guys do? Yeah. So um, TVM, as I said, is uh, focused on investing in life science, and um, we are doing according to a two-leg strategy. So our photo fund is dedicated to uh, to biotech, right? And uh, what we are doing is uh, investing in uh, uh, preclinical therapeutics, right? Uh, and we bring uh, the the asset uh, uh, up to the proof of concept. And then we sell the company to uh, through MA. Uh, the rest of the fund is dedicated to what we call late stage opportunities that could be medtech, digital, and diagnostic uh, companies. And in that case, what we do is to provide the growth capital, right, um, uh, to reach the the, the break even, right, around the year two, and uh, an exit potential around the year four. Um, so the ideal company for us is uh, um, someone who has a product, right, that is uh, ready to be to be sold, right. And um, uh, what we can do is really to help opening up uh, the, the key markets, right, and uh, executing uh, the business plan, and uh, uh, really to to give the, the right advice at board level while uh, um, keeping the, the management in control of uh, the execution of the, the, the business plan um, that uh, they are signing up. So the fund is uh, uh, the number eight at the moment, and uh, we closed it uh, last June and uh, has the size of uh, almost uh, half a billion US dollars. For medtech companies uh, in particular, our ticket size uh, starts at a minimum of 10 million, right? It, it can go up to, to 2025, but um, you know, we, we don't go be, uh, below 10, right? Very good. And, and you brought up this idea, so I'm gonna break it up into three sections throughout the rest of our time together. But I, I wanna understand the industry better especially coming from an investor standpoint. So a little tangent here. You mentioned that this nearly half a billion fund, half a billion dollar fund, you do early stage biotech. And then the idea is to sell off those companies. Then the rest of the fund is very clearly late stage med tech, digital and diagnostics. For myself and also for all those wondering why some of these investors position their funds like that what's concisely and we don't have to spend too much time on this but why is that why do these big funds why are they capable of getting involved in biotech early on and then for everything else hardware related right so digital diagnostics and medtech why do you guys hang at the end why are you late stage what's the difference what's the economic drivers behind that and those market forces no, that, that's an, a very interesting question. So, in fact, um, investing in uh, uh, preclinical uh, uh, stage biotech assets uh, belongs also to, 
our investment thesis. So we issued a, a white paper back in the days, it was something like 2009, where we analyzed the market, right? And uh, the, the, these activities, the volumes and uh, the, the usual statistics, right? With the, the chance of success and so on. And we came to the, to the conclusion that um, for, for us would have been uh, really efficient, right? To be focused on uh, a single asset and to create, you know, in a form of joint venture, I mean, this is the technicality, but then to bring uh, to proof of concept so that we are uh, in, in tight control of the milestones of the deliverables, right? On the, the upside and downsides, right? So that we can come with a very strong data package to the exit, right? For what concerns the uh, MedTech uh, digital diagnostics opportunities, uh, this has uh, something uh, related to uh, our connections, right? And uh, um, our uh, network uh, that can also contribute to a kind of uh, know-how uh, for us while we assess uh, uh, the, the companies, right? Uh, or we sell the company because I mean, uh, these, these people are also are gravitating around uh, the strategics, right? That uh, ultimately are, uh, are the, the target for these, uh, for, uh, for these uh, buyouts, no? And um, the, the, the other pillar is also our internal uh, uh, know-how and expertise. I mean, there are people that are, are on this kind of deals since decades, right? And, and uh, they play together with, with the rest of the partnership where uh, they, are, they are strong, basically, right? So this is also to ensure our investors and uh, at the same time, the entrepreneurs that uh, we are investing in this niche because we have a first track record and second, the know-how and the capabilities uh, to, to perform, right? And on the, the late stage for med tech, the early stage for biotech, just for all those listening out there, is it a pretty accurate generality that biotech acquirers will acquire assets or, or small companies earlier than medtech will in general? Yeah, you're right. Uh, especially if we look at uh, specific uh, modalities and um, yes. So uh, if you go to gene therapy, for example, I mean, uh, we saw a kind of bonanza of IPOs, for example, or M&A transaction for assets and, uh, and platforms that uh, were, were not inhuman. Just tested in animal models, for example, right? For medtech, uh, you want to see a validation of your technology. You want to see that uh, uh, the market is receptive. You want to see that uh, the regulatory path is cleared because also this can open up some discussions on reimbursement, on uh, penetration of the, the segments and so on. And also, you ideally, you would like to see a kind of a clinical validation of your technology, because then the, uh, the, the, the users or the prescribers, right, I mean, uh, they are confident that uh, your product uh, is meaningful, right, for the, for, the, for the guidelines, for the patients, and uh, for the hospitals, right? <laughs> okay. And, and just to summarize that for the entrepreneurs, again, um, when we see biotech earlier on, whether they go public or they even get acquired in their early stages, 
not that biotech's not difficult, it's, it's incredibly difficult, but in terms of the, the length of time um, and what is on the entrepreneurs to actually provide traction with and prove out, the med tech entrepreneurs have to hang in the game a lot longer, typically speaking, than the biotechs would. Is that correct or? Yeah, but you have to count, you have to count uh, the, the discovery process of, of a molecule, for example, right? And also the fact that on the critical part, uh, biotech is binary, right? So, I mean, uh, you, you, tr you, you administer one dose of the drug, toxic, okay, back to the, back to the bench, right? <laughs> Design a new molecule because, uh, uh, the, you, I mean, this is not a viable option if you are toxic, for example, even in animal, right? Or in primate, whatever. So while for medtech, for example, if you have a stand that has some... Uh, criticalities in the, the flexibilities or some other parameters and so on. I mean, uh, you make an adjustment, right? Go to generate, to issue generation two. But I mean, uh, the, the recycle time is uh, fairly short compared to biotech, right? And the size of the investment is completely different. So it looks like you had to hang uh, a, a bit longer, but in fact it's not, right? If you consider the entire process. Understood. Okay, thank you for that. And then I, I want to move over to this next major, major focal point that we'll spend the rest of our time on, which is really the necessary tools for medtech entrepreneurs on their outreach to investors. And then once that outreach happens, then the due diligence process. And those are the two things that I really want to hang on for today. So when you sit in your chair and, and you you get either a warm introduction of a startup through somebody or that startup reaches out to you directly, specifically with MedTech. What do you look for in that initial outreach? I mean, when you look for the messaging of how much they're looking for or the type of technology that they have, and then do you like the executive summary, which is really that more concise one pager, or do you like a long 10 12, 20 slide, slide deck. Um, for all those entrepreneurs listening out right now, because I deal with a lot of them who are in this, what do I put down on paper? Like, what do the investors want us? We have our story, we have our technology, but how do we position it in such a way that makes sense to send out an enticing or an intriguing message to an investor? What do you look for? Like, what are the main pillars of information that you need to see to start saying, okay, I'd like to assess this company? Or you, you're missing this, this, and this. This is why I'm I'm not going to assess it. What are those tools and messaging and, and items that you're looking for? No, thank you for the question because uh, I hope that uh, with that answer, also the entrepreneurs can um, you know fine tune their messaging, right? Because uh, I, in my opinion, and uh, this is also a personal kind of uh, preference, right? This is the most efficient way of, of getting my attention. So, in fact, if you send me an email, right, and uh, you, you let the products and the, 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 the achievements, right, um, speaking for you, right, this is the best way to say, okay, I'm uh, X, Y, and Z, right, and I'm the CEO or, or whatever of this company, and uh, I'm working on this product. Right. So, and this is already triggering uh, in my mind, right? The product fit, market fit, and where you are playing, right? So, I'm creating a kind of ballpark. And then within that ballpark, you can tell me 
if you have uh, if you reach the FDA 510K, if you have a clinical validation, if you have um, uh, some uh, lead users, whatever, right? And uh, of course, then uh, how much you are raising. Ideally, you know, uh, if you have a range of your valuation, or at least you can tell me about the last post, right? And if this is going to be the, the last round uh, before to reach uh, break even, for example, right? So, I mean, and, and then come with the deck. I mean, executive summary, I, I know that sometimes uh, is, uh, is, you know, uh, is giving the feeling that is never enough, right? While you want to be very conscious about the, 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 the words and the layout, whatever. I mean, come with the deck, 10 slides, it's okay, right? So this is for me then, and, and hopefully it benefits the listeners too, because I, I often think about if I was in the shoes of an investor, and you guys get these multiple companies per day reaching out to you. There's only so many hours in a day. So if, if you're getting, I'll be conservative and say five new companies a day, let's just say, um, mm -hmm. and all of them have these full slide decks. You have already calls on your calendar for the day. You have internal meetings. You have other things and objectives and achievements that you have to do for your own day that were just not part of this new person reaching out to you. If you have a long slide deck that explains in great detail, practically every answer for all of your high level questions, is there enough time for you to want to assess them and get back to them in a, in a fairly reasonable amount of time? Or is it, if there's an, an entrepreneur who reaches out and he sends you or she sends you this executive summary and on this one or two pager, it tells you how much they're looking to raise. It tells you what they have done in terms of traction on the regulatory pathway. Obviously, it gives a high-level overview of their product and their market fit. And it gives you just enough where maybe it's a Friday at 5 o'clock and it's the last email that comes in and you say, oh, it's interesting. I, I would like to learn more. Let me get back to that person and, and then ask for a call, but also ask them to send me more information. Is that is that like a nice workflow or you're just like, listen... It might take me two weeks to get back to you, but forget about the executive summary. Just give me all the information that you have. And when I find time, I'll find time. Yeah, so uh, th that's interesting. And uh, it goes back to, um, uh, to reinforce why uh, this job is not uh, as glamorous as people think, right? Because in fact, uh, uh, we spend a lot of time, right? But focus time on uh, reading the decks, right? And uh, having a high level search in our databases, right? To see competitors, the landscape, right? And uh, to have a quick check on the, um, uh, on the company or the products, whatever, right? Or to give a couple of calls. So the best, the best is, um, well, first we don't stop at uh, 5 p.m. on Friday, right? You know that. Uh, well, first because we are a transatlantic fund, so by definition we 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 work uh, uh, the, the trying to to accommodate uh, at least two time zones, right? So um, with my Australian friends, probably it's going to be a challenge a challenge sometimes, right? But but you know we manage. But uh, I prefer to look at the deck, right? Because uh, we know what we are expecting to see, right? So our, our review is pretty focused at the first pass. Then we give another pass if something is, is intriguing, right? 
but it's better to to come with a deck instead of coming with a summary so that I have to answer to you, right? And then you, there is a lag time because you come back to me then with additional information or a deck, right? I mean, this is a a, a thread that you that can be shortened if you just send the deck and the, you are focused on issuing the key messages, right? You know, the market, the product, the competition, the exit potential, right? The strategic and so on. So. I prefer to do that, to be honest. And then on on the deck itself, and I know obviously you come from a technical background, and maybe that differs from the venture capitalist who's who's always been grown up in in the business sense, and maybe they don't have a technical degree. Maybe they just were a CEO several times um, on the commercial side. They got some acquisitions. They know the big process, and then they fell into venture capital. Um, this focus of product versus business plan, and whether it's the executive summary or um, the slide deck itself, oftentimes we hear that these entrepreneurs, this product is their baby, this technology is the love of their life, right? And so they lead in all these conversations with investors on, look at my product, look at my product, look at my product. And they spend significant less time on the traction, the business plan, what they've accomplished, their vision of how to take this baby, this product, and get it eventually to market or get it to eventual acquisition. When we talk about the emphasis from a pitch, from an entrepreneur to an investor, do you find that oftentimes they, they focus almost too much on their product and they kind of forget to tell you all the, the fun, sexy stuff on the actual business on, on why an investor truly would care, which ultimately would be the reason why they invest is to make money and either sell the company or go public? So yes, unfortunately, yes. <clears throat> and this could be killing the deal. And I can tell you why, because uh, uh, I mean, there was a case recently and I really love the approach, the technology, the business model, right? Because it was opening up uh, several revenue streams. So a bigger upside potential in the short time frame, right? already some strategies on board with contracts and so on. So uh, I met the companies a couple of times, right? Try Exactly try to uh, deconvolute, right? The business plan out of the passion that was uh, uh, intrinsic into the products, right? So KOLs and whatever, right? So at some point, uh, this, this discussion derailed because uh, it, something was impossible to achieve, right? Something like, okay, I promise I'm going to open up a market in Asia and generate double digit uh, million dollar revenue uh, in uh, six months from now, right? I mean, sorry, but uh, right, let's try to develop a kind of sensitivity analysis, some alternative scenarios, right? So perhaps we can start with a more realistic case Right, and then if I'm wrong and you are super good in achieving these goals, okay, I mean, that's even better, right? But in fact, uh, uh, the conversation uh, derailed, as I said, because then at some point, uh, you know, we had to make a kind of uh, reassessment of the valuation, right? And then, I mean, the entrepreneur, unfortunately, came with a kind of, uh, okay, but you know what, that means that you are uh, busy, um, you, uh, the valuation is based on a kind of finger in the sky <laughs> approach, right? So, I mean, I would avoid this kind. I, I, my recommendation is to come with an open mind, right? When discussing with institutional investors, because uh, 
they uh, are scouting for the best deals and one as soon as they find it they work to you know to try to really define the boundaries of these deals and then the result is evaluation is an exit potential is a kind of uh, milestones right list of milestones to be achieved in order to be successful and enable an acquisition or an ipo right so uh, this is something that is very important to 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 keep in mind as an entrepreneur that uh, we do uh, recognize that uh, the passion is a very strong driver but this has to be supported with um, some realistic steps forward or at least to come with an open mind right ask for help as you said right i mean i i love my product and i know everything about the product i, I need someone who can help with the, the business plan with the, the the financing right with the, the mechanics of this or managing the, the team actually because you will have to hire 10 20 people right in the short time frame so yeah there's a good point and so just in summary on that one as more of like a binary yes or no type question when you find these decks and let's just call them 10 slides long and nine or eight out of the 10 slides are everything about this product right it, it shows graphics and how amazing their product is and it's all about this product and maybe one slide or two slides are the actual business plan who's the management team the market size the regulatory pathway and it's just it maybe it's not even thought through all that much but and it's considerably an afterthought because everything of their focus of their presentation is just their technology you're saying it has to be all encompassing yes tell us about the product but tell us about how it fits into the real world and the market and everything else that goes along with this regulated industry that we play in what are the financial projections possibly if you can do that potential valuations, mark, uh, management team, the regulatory pathway, competition, all that. That's That business plan is equally as important as the product itself. That's true. Yes, it's true. Absolutely. That's the reason why I'm asking questions, right? If they come with these slides that are full uh, of product kind of information, I come with uh, three, four key questions, right? And the, if they answer uh, as I expect, I mean, uh, intro call, and then we go uh, in, uh, under CDA, right? And uh, I will look at the data room, and then we start the, the, the due diligence process. Few other micro questions I have. When, how important, especially as we get a little bit more media savvy as this world continues to progress, when you do a PowerPoint presentation, which is old school, right? I mean, everyone does PowerPoint presentations. They've been around for forever. When you have outreach from these entrepreneurs, how important are animation videos? Like there's these professionals that put together animation videos that show how the technology works. How important are the CEO or the executive interviews, maybe with a leading KOL or something like that, but how important are all these ancillary media supporting pieces of information in addition to a deck or a slide deck? Do you like to see all that extra work or is it really kind of fluff at this point, not necessary? Uh, you're right. So um, I would say if the product is really complex, right? Because uh, for example, I was assessing a, an uh, aortic valve, right? With a specific um, placement ring and whatsoever, right? So in that case, you really want to show something because uh, right, if it's that innovative, right? You want to have uh, 
a kind of a sketch or, or an animation, right? You don't have to be, uh, you know, in virtual reality kind of setting, but something is helpful, right? Uh, on the other hand, I mean, interviews with KOLs, to be honest with you, I would prefer myself to give a call to the KOL and, and ask them some questions. Very good. I'm glad that you brought up that point. And we'll get back to that in a second. Um, quick side question. How important are scientific advisory boards to have for med tech companies? Uh, they are, in, in, in no doubt at all, right? They are, but um, I mean, it, it's just a, a piece of the story, right? Because they can really guide you to understand where exactly you can play a role. I mean, how many French you had to be for your uh, catheters and so on and why, right? So. The, 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 the kind of orientation is important, right? They, they can provide the important insights. But uh, it, I mean, it, it, there is something beyond, right? It's just a piece, just a piece of the picture. Another sidebar question here, because I get this come up very regularly. Um, sometimes entrepreneurs are very quick, and even on the, the first interaction with saying, let's put an NDA in place. Let's put an NDA in place, sign my NDA and we can talk more. From an investor standpoint, when's the appropriate time for an entrepreneur to say, let's put an NDA in place? After the intro call, because that means that uh, I have an idea on what you are doing and uh, how and if there is a fit with us. Right. And uh, if there could be an interest. Right. And, and then, I mean, you can put an NDA. I mean, th this is. It's, it, it, there's also a, a turnaround time for that, right? Some revisions and then, I mean, do you really want to go NDA first and then to talk? I mean, I assume that you will be able to, to share some non-confidential information as everybody else in the world is doing. So please do, right? And is it, is it a little bit of a turnoff when entrepreneurs rush to that NDA upfront? Uh, well, for sure, I will try to to ask for uh, to push back, right? Because if I if I know nothing about the company, to be honest, uh, to me there is no sense to go under CDA unless really, you know, they convince me that there is something. But why why to do that? I mean, if we have an intro call, right? And then I will be the first asking for an NDA if there is something, because it's also in my interest to understand a bit better what, what we are talking about, right? Good. I'm glad we talked about that. Um, I have one more question on this whole outreach and presentation, and then we're going to jump into due diligence. Whether it's a, an executive summary or a full slide deck, if we break it up into the major topics that you want to see in a presentation, what are those major topics? And I'll, and I'll lead you just so you can understand what I'm asking. Management team, market, financial ask, product, those types of things. When you want to look at a slide deck, what are the major categories that you need to see in order to be interested in having a phone call? What should entrepreneurs be thinking about putting into their slide deck? No, no, that, that's an interesting point. And uh, for that reason, right, uh, if we understand that and uh, recognize that the company is not really there yet, right, we are happy to provide a template, right? So, 
And this, in, this is intended to, to be a kind of guideline, right, of the topics that we want to see covered. It's not that people have to work on our template, right? So we can provide a kind of uh, uh, agenda items uh, list, right? So that they, they can fill the, the content. But anyway, so the, 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 the six uh, key uh, paragraphs, right, that we want to see being, uh, being uh, attached are, well, first the company, right, to say, okay, this company inception and who, who we are, right, I mean, just a high level, right, okay. And what uh, the, the, the major achievements have been, like, uh, I don't know if the team worked for, uh, for some other companies or academia, right? The kind of track, I mean, the general uh, company description and team. Then the second is the market, as I said, right? I mean, which kind of uh, um, uh, uh, arena you are trying to play within, right? Then the third is the product, right? The description, uh, the, uh, the technology, the current generation um, and uh, the features uh, and, and so on. Then the fourth is the, the growth, right? The growth, you say, okay, I have this company, I'm ready for the, for the commercial rollout, I'm targeting uh, uh, US and uh, the five uh, top markets in Europe and uh, why and um, uh, right, what you can expect in terms of, uh, um, uh, in terms of the uh, the financial the the revenue uh, uptake, right? Something like that. Uh, then the fifth is the exit potential, right? So uh, the strategic, uh, which kind of multiple you have in mind on the on the revenue at uh, at the exit, and uh, and the, if there are some comparable cases uh, and so on uh, that are relevant, of course. And then the other uh, is uh, the last one, the number six is the fundraising, right? So we are raising uh, the, um, we raised, uh, I don't know, seed, uh, convertible, whatever, and then Series A. So, and uh, we are now shooting for the Series B, right? And uh, then for that amounts, the use of proceeds, and uh, as I said, a guideline of a kind of a valuation uh, a range, right? That uh, is also important to understand if, uh, we will be willing to uh, entail a discussion or not, because this is also an important aspect for us to consider, right? It's always uh, economics and, and um, uh, governance and uh, economics and control, right? So for us, too. these are the six areas. And thank you very much for that, Catello, because all those entrepreneurs listening in right now, I hope you paid attention to that. and. I'll assume they were in chronological order, at least the way they hit Catello's head. But um, from an entrepreneur standpoint, when they reach out to an investor, typically the first two things on their mind are, here's my baby and the product, and this is the money that I need. And if you heard the six that were just put in order, the actual product was number three, and the financial ask and the historical financing was the last one. You start with the company, you start with who's running the company, the background, the credibility of the people, and then you go into the market and where that product will eventually fit into the market. So for all those entrepreneurs building your, your slide decks and your storylines, hear it here first that the product and the financing is important, but there's many other aspects that are equally or even more important at times in terms of how you tell your story. So thank you for that, Catello. So I, I want to lead into the, the last major piece of our conversation, which is this due diligence. We talked a lot about what entrepreneurs should put together, 
how they reach out to you. Now we've come to this point where an entrepreneur clicks send on that email and it now arrives in your inbox. I want to now understand this black box that happens, what we call due diligence, um, when you get back to them. So when when you respond back to somebody, this looks interesting. I'm going to look at this with my team and we'll get back to you in a week or two or whatever it may be. That initial due diligence to even get the phone call, but then also the due diligence once you take that initial intro call and you continuously do your, your due diligence. I want to expose what really happens behind the scenes that all the investors do together while they're doing due diligence on an entrepreneur who's you know, at this point, sitting in their chair, twiddling their thumbs, waiting to hear back from you on, are we moving forward? Are we moving forward? What does Catello, what does venture capitalists do in due diligence? Who are you calling? What is that process? Why does it take long? Who are you calling? Doctors, family, friends, other competitors, other companies, strategics. What is due diligence from a venture capitalist perspective that entrepreneurs don't know? No, thank you for asking, but you know, this is a million dollar question, right? So <clears throat> we should discuss about this. <laughs> I'm joking, <laughs> but you know, about this secret sauce, right? I mean, uh, this also, uh, there is a kind of a standard component, I would say, of the funnel, and the other is a more uh, subjective component to, the, to each fund, right? Because it depends on how they are structured, uh, the seniority of the people, the, the expertise of the people, and so on. I mean, I'm telling you that uh, here at TVM, what we are doing is first, I, 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 I look at the deck, right? And as I said, uh, um, I um, uh, set the kind of uh, frame, right? Of um, which product uh, we are talking about, in which market, how competitive this could be, if the, this is a kind of uh, uh, best in class, right? Or is something truly disruptive and you know, innovative? Uh, and uh, which kind of problem is serving, right? And uh, I am um, the the second is uh, to have a kind of intro call, right? To meet the company and have this in these thirty minutes, right? Uh, to to have a, a dynamic conversation, right? Um, uh, people that have been on the phone with me, they know that um, this is. Uh, uh, is is relaxed, right? Because is uh, they, they talk about the, the the company, the product, and uh, uh, I'm asking some questions. And uh, the next steps it will be for me to to go under CDA, right, to, and get access to the to the confidential deck and eventually to the data room. What I will do in parallel, right, is to start my own research, right, of. Uh, uh, using our databases or uh, to call uh, our network if. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I know that they are uh, they are working at hospital, uh, perhaps treating patients uh, with the, the certain tool, and um, I'm just asking if they are they need for something new, for example, or not. Then also, I involve uh, our internal expertise, right? So there are people that have experience, as I said, in the in the in different uh, uh, verticals and therapeutic areas and the technologies. So I will reach out to them and so. So um, as soon as I receive then the uh, the general feedback, right, and uh, uh, in the meantime the the confidential deck, I will compare my notes with what I found in the in the deck. And uh, at this point, if I'm convinced, I I, I will call to um, uh, to build the the deal team. What we call the deal team, right? So there are uh, two three people 
who uh, are covering uh, some aspects of the deal making process right uh, from the the technical right from the financial aspects uh, to the medical aspects to the business aspects and so on or the process aspects and uh, we are meeting the company again all together right and uh, uh, usually the company will come with uh, the, the the key people so that they can uh, answer some technical questions that we we may ask in these uh, 40 minutes, 45 minutes call, something like that, uh, up to one hour, right? It depends. And then uh, uh, as we continue with the, the due diligence, then we ask for some reference code, KOS codes, right? Uh, the, then we look at the, the studies rather than, uh, you know, the, uh, the financials. The business plan is very important at this stage, right? Because we want to see what is uh, the, the burn rate, uh, the, the marginality, the, uh, the revenue potential, how they build their model or based on which assumption, right? So, and we are challenging the assumption, building all the scenarios and so on. And then uh, once everything is in good shape, right? Uh, also, you know, preliminary IP, whatever, uh, we call for partnership presentations. That means that this is how TVM works, right? So everybody within the partnership has to be convinced after the call that we have with the company and the, the, the briefing that this is a deal we should uh, we should go deep into the due diligence right because that means that if uh, the the last question and answer right uh, will be positive there will be a term sheet right how we operate is the following then uh, if we should term sheet right i mean more than 90% we are investing in the company right while some other funds, for example, they are issuing a term sheet just to exercise the non-shop uh, clothes, right? So they want to have a kind of exclusivity of three months, right? And we think this is unfair, right? So what we want to do is first to be sure that you want to invest into this company. And then we step into the negotiation part of the term sheet and the last piece of the technical due diligence before the investment, right? That, that's an interesting piece. Um, the Well, first and foremost, a lot of work goes into the term sheet and getting there. But you, you mentioned something that maybe most entrepreneurs don't know. So there are some investment firms like TVM, when you do issue that term sheet, it's a really solid signal that things are going well. And they'll probably it'll probably take more of a miracle to not invest than to invest. And you're saying that other firms who send out the term sheet, they do it almost to kind of lock up some time to give them a little bit more time to do some due diligence. Meanwhile, it's a 50-50. They, they still aren't really committing, but it, it's more of like a strategy or a tactic on their side. Uh, exactly. If you can share anything, if you are aware, um, more objectively speaking, for all those entrepreneurs listening, are there any signals or signs or things to read between the lines that an entrepreneur can protect themselves on some of those other styles of investors who may be doing that tactically rather than having a legitimate interest? Is there anything to, to ask questions on how to figure that out sooner rather than later? Any advice that you can offer to entrepreneurs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, ask for the process. Ask for the, the due diligence process and um, what is needed to, to come to a term sheet, right? The, the, the minimum uh, 
uh, analysis, assessments, and conclusions, right? And if you see, and if you see that this is uh, taking, I don't know, weeks or one month, right? You know, it's better if you double check if uh, anything else is needed before to to close the loop around the, the, the investment and convince the, the management that of the firm, right, of the VC, that um, the investment uh, could be effective, right? And um, the company could become a portfolio. And at least for me, going back to this due diligence process, when you start having these multiple phone calls and then all the background work that you're doing, when you call the hospital or the clinic or the 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 leading KOL in that particular space and you say, hey, listen, I'm doing due diligence on this company or not, or maybe I'm just looking at this type of technology. Is this something that could fit well into your clinic or your workflow or your hospital setting? Or as a leading KOL, do you see a physiological need for this type of device? If that phone call says, ah, it's, it sounds nice, it's probably more of a, a nice to have rather than a real need in terms of helping out healthcare. Like if you get that feedback even one time is that enough to kill the interest on your side to stop the deal no because i mean if i call and uh uh for sure uh i, I will take this feedback under consideration because these are uh, trusted sources of, of know-how for me right i mean we are talking about experts we are not talking about uh, <laughs> right uh, students that uh, you know they just started uh the, the medical school, for example, right? Or uh, right, people that are using this kind of approach, right? And or they are buying these technologies, right? Or prescribing whatsoever. So what is important is that uh, they provide the feedback and the, the rationale why they, they, they have cold feet on that, right? But I mean, this is a blind, a kind of blind test, right? So they didn't see the deck, they didn't see the company. So I, I will certainly not kill the deal based on the, the preliminary single feedback, as you said. But for sure, I will ensure that before to go ahead with the due diligence, uh, I, I will take a closer look to the KOS feedback once I will bring them on board under confidentiality, for example, right? If I'm super hot on this deal. And, and just to summarize, and once again, for the entrepreneurs to know, especially first timers who don't know what happens in that due diligence process, if you could categorize, what are some of the assets that a venture capitalist has in terms of network? Like, what are the, the categories of people or entities that you could call to ask for their opinion? What are those? We mentioned some hospitals, clinics, companies, things like that. But what, what are the categories of assets in your network that you do call upon to ask their opinion when you're doing due diligence? Well, for sure, is a, a possible acquire, right? We know people that worked for uh, Siemens, Medtronic, Stryker, whatever, right? So <clears throat> uh, and we, 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 can, we can ask, I mean, uh, if, as I said, I mean, uh, this could be in general something that is hot at the moment or not for them, right? So, uh, and the other are uh, the... The, the users at academia, right? For example, the surgeon. I mean, they're using these, I don't know, uh, people, uh, if, I, if I'm working on a tool for the cat lab, I, I will go to the, to the cat lab, right? To ask uh, directly to them if they, this is something they are using, how often they use it, if they see some critical specs they want to see, right? Of, of these tools. 
And, uh, and the, the other, uh, of course, uh, if uh, there is a, a strong reimbursement component, uh, I will also try to inquire some of the players, right? And I, I want to leave off with this question. It's, a, it's meant to, to spark a little contentiousness that opens up things that people aren't aware of or at least want to ignore. Um, but when we think of the objectivity of a technology being built, and where it belongs in a legitimate market. And we all have heard stories of amazing technologies that were thought of and maybe even initially created, created and, and never made it to market for a plethora of reasons. We've also heard stories of technologies that were, eh, they were okay, but for some reason they, they still got acquired or they still were pushed through. Whether it's internal at a venture capital firm on their assessments of making the investment or the potential acquirer on why they, why they would or would not acquire a company. We talked about this notion earlier on in this call, lock on market timing and positioning. What about this notion of politics? Do, do politics play in an investment association or, or assumption and due diligence process or even an acquisition where everything could be right objectively speaking, but maybe someone had a bad day or you needed consensus on the partnerships and out of the five partners, only four of them really wanted it. And there was one that said, eh, no, or maybe this was a serial entrepreneur in the company and two companies ago, they had it out with the, the partner in the firm or whatever it may be. And, and just to give a very high level objectiveness, just to make people's eyes and ears aware of it, do politics also play into this whole thing? So um, here I can mention um, uh, what happened at the border level, right? Because more, there are some similarities. I mean, uh, there is a say, right? You had to leave your personal issues outside the boardroom, right? And it's the same uh, at the, in the partner's room, right? So, I mean, uh, it, if people come with uh, a strong opinion against everybody else, right? Uh, the good thing is that everybody's listening carefully, right? So if uh, this argument is backed up by strong and solid rationale, right? I mean, this will trigger additional uh, investigations, right? And uh, requests for qualification and so on, and provide uh, different additional evidence to the person who voted against, right? But if you are not able, right, to uh, satisfy these uh, uh, critical findings, right? I mean, we don't close the deal because the, the, we all collectively recognize then that, I mean, the person was right. That's the beauty of the partnership, right? Very good. Well, I, I love that. And, and thank you for the clarity. And, and Catello, this was a, a very mechanical conversation. This was a lot of questions on how to, what not to do, what to take into consideration. This is really a, a how to for all those entrepreneurs listening in and what happens on the other side of the table. So I want to say thank you so much for your time. Catello Soma, Associate at TVM Life Science. This is the MedTech Money podcast series where we demystify raising and certainly thanks to you investing capital in medtech thank you so much for your time thank you very much joe that, that was a great experience thank you for listening to the podcast
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.